Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving, a few days ahead. Welcome to those of you joining us online. We're glad you're joining us in uh, participating in the service this morning. Um, like all holidays, I think Thanksgiving has lost some of its uh, intention and meaning over the decades it's been celebrated. And I hope this morning that we recapture some of its original intent and maybe that it's um, revived a bit and become something that's very meaningful uh, to us. Go back with me to the origins of this holiday. In September of 1620, some of you know this history, a ship called the Mayflower, right, left Plymouth, England, carrying 102 passengers. This was an assortment of people, many of whom were coming to the new world uh, to have a free expression of their faith, some coming to the new world because they were lured by the promise of prosperity and, and land ownership. What they all experienced was a very treacherous trip across uh, the ocean. Um, it lasted 66 days. And they ended up far north of their intended destination of the mouth of the Hudson River. Um, they ended up at the um, uh, tip of uh, Cape Cod. And um, um, one month later, the Mayflower crossed the Massachusetts Bay where they, uh, the pilgrims as we call them now, um, begin the work of establishing a village and they called that Plymouth, that area Plymouth in the new land. And throughout that first brutal winter, most of the colonists spent the winter in the boat. They used that as their home and they suffered exposure and scurvy and all kinds of contagious diseases and only half of the original number uh, of passengers and crew lived to see that first spring in, in New England. Um, in March, the remaining settlers moved ashore uh, where they received an astonishing visit from a Native American and he greeted them in English. That's kind of miraculous when you think about it. And then a few days later, he returned with another Native American whose name was Guanto. And he had been kidnapped formerly by an uh, English sea captain and sold into slavery uh, back in England. But then he escaped to London, of all things, got aboard uh, an exploratory expedition going to the New World and went back to, his, his, to this area where he was from. And Squanto became uh, a saving grace to the early uh, pilgrims. Um, weakened by malnutrition and illness, Squanto taught them how to cultivate corn. How to, how to plant it and, and, to, and to, you know, um, harvest it. He taught him how to ex extract sap from maple trees. He taught him how to catch fish. And maybe most importantly, he taught him how not to eat poisonous stuff that would kill them. And then he also helped the settlers forge an alliance with a Wapanog uh, Indian tribe that lasted for 50 years. It was this really good relationship that, between those early settlers and this uh, Native American uh, tribe. So they have this Thanksgiving festival then, that September and October, um, and only about 50 colonists attended because the rest were dead. <laughs> it had been a terrible, hard experience, as I mentioned. So there were like um, 22 men only four married women and about 25 kids and teenagers. 78% um, of the women that had started out in that voyage died that first winter. And most likely these uh, colonists, these Plymouth colonists, were outnumbered by their Native Americans who participated two to, two to one. So I, I read this and I know this. History. How many of you know this history? Right? Don't you get taught this in school still? I hope you do. 
right? So, I mean, I, 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 I look at this and I go, wow, they suffered so much loss, right? And devastation. I know now as an older person, I've suffered loss of a lot of dear friends. It's hard to recover from that. I've watched a lot of my close relatives, especially uncles and aunts, pass away. And you're just sad, right? You, you miss them like crazy. And I, I, I look at this group of people that had experienced loss and suffering so keenly, and they decided to have a Thanksgiving festival and thank God for his provision. And that's what this tradition that we call Thanksgiving came from. And what, what struck me was they knew something that I think we need to begin to understand. Thanksgiving has a, a, a redemptive healing kind of aspect to it. It's good for our souls to thank our God in spite of what we've been going through. It's good to have that focus. So I want to ask you some reflection questions to get you thinking this morning. Why is thankfulness to God so important? Why do you think that's so important? Why is it so important for us? How does thankfulness set the tone for whatever you have to face in life? How does that change your attitude and change your approach? Thirdly, now we're going to get pragmatic. What are some blessings that you're thankful for? Have you stopped and thanked God for those things? You might be sitting next to one of them right now. Have you thanked that person for who they are? Have you thanked God for them? Lastly, what are some hardships that you've gone through maybe this last year or two that you're thankful for? How is it shaping you? How is God using it? See, the early pilgrims, if you read their writings, they expected hardship and suffering as part of their Christian experience. They just expected that to be part of the package. And this side of Christianity is where Peter has been taking us the last few weeks in his epistle, and he'll take us there once again uh, this morning. And so I wanted to set the backdrop for you a little bit of why am I reading 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19 on a Thanksgiving Sunday that talks about how to rightly handle suffering. Because that's where this holiday that we celebrate annually came from. Amen? People who understood that. And I think God wants to kind of revive that understanding of thanksgiving in his people uh, today. So listen to the scripture here from 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 19. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind of criminal or even a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will, be the out, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and what? Continue to do good. 
So for the last couple of weeks in our first Peter series here that we've been going through uh, this fall called Different, uh, Peter's brought us to this idea that following Jesus will involve some trials and hardship. It's like the stream of thought that just gets really heavy and hard in the epistle of 1 Peter. Back in chapter 3, when this is first kind of introduced to us, I called that section of 1 Peter um, persecution viewed philosophically. It's kind of like a discussion. It's kind of like what happens after a Vikings football game. We get together and we talk about what they do right, what they do wrong, as if we know anything really, right? (laughs) The other day I was thinking, it was really good for for a, a sports spectator to actually go to a real game and stand next to these people and to see how huge they are. Right, Mark Engen? They're, these, these basketball players and these football players, these are big people. Most of us are shrimps compared to them and wouldn't do very well. But we can sure Monday uh, quarterback, can't we? We can tell what they did wrong or what they did right. And it's easy to have philosophical discussions. But now uh, the, the section of scripture we get to in First Peter brings us to uh, what I call persecution viewed realistically. Peter says, why are you surprised at the fiery ordeal that you're going through. We talked about this. I warned you about this, and now you're experiencing it. And and, and you should handle it differently because you're in Christ. Which brings us to the big thought for the message today. It's this. As a follower of Jesus, you are to understand life on a different level. You're just to understand life on a different level. And so I'm going to share with you briefly three ways that we understand life on a different level because we're a Jesus follower using the scripture that we read today. But what I want to do, where my goal is, is to take us to this, this kind of, uh, so what? How do we do it? How do we really experience life on this different level? And we're going to get to this understanding that Thanksgiving uh, focuses the follower on God so that you can truly experience life on this different level. So that's, that's where I'm heading. I'm just telling you where I'm going this morning so you know where we're going to end up. So how is a Christ follower different? One, you understand that trials and suffering allow you to relate to Jesus. You handle trials and suffering very differently because you're a Jesus follower. They, re- they allow you to relate to him. Now, next week starts Advent already. And we begin to uh, celebrate that Jesus came in flesh. He's God incarnate. He came as one of us, so he could become our sympathetic high priest, our one mediator between God and us, right? And so he came and, and dwelt among his people. He, he came to the neighborhood, so to speak. He's one of us. He relates to us. He knows us because he's put on flesh. Part of our response back to Christ should be to understand that everything that we go through, including sufferings and persecution and hardship, can be used so that we can relate back to him better. And so when you suffer something that's hard in your life and you go through some ordeal, you know what? You're going to understand Christ just a little bit better and how he suffered for your sins. It's going to give you some relatability to him. Um, suffering has a twofold use in the life of the believer. First, it demonstrates your allegiance to Jesus Christ. If you're willing to suffer when you follow him, it just demonstrates, hey, this is a real deal. But secondly, it gives you the opportunity to, in a small way, relate to the suffering that he endured on the cross for you. It just gives you a small inkling of that. All right, here's the second way that we're different. You understand that when insulted for Christ, you're blessed. The spirit of glory and, God, and of God rests on you. Now, Peter states the obvious here. You know, if you're, if you're suffering hardship because you're a criminal or meddler, yeah, okay. 
That's not what he's talking about. But if you suffer some hardship in your life because you're a Christ follower, you've got to understand, you're blessed. Why? Because the Spirit of God rests on you. And he'll see you through that thing. We have to understand as followers of Christ, we live in this tension. This tension is going to be our reality unless Jesus returns or we die and go to see him in the kingdom of heaven, right? But the tension we live in is this. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, friends, and you're born again, you enter into this state of well-being. Your brokenness is healed. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You no longer live, but Christ lives in you. Everything changes. You're, you're understanding well-being, and you're understanding spiritual health, right? But where do you live? You live in a fractured world. You live in a broken place. You live with suffering and hardship as part of the reality of the human condition. And, and so we live in this tension. We know that we're in Christ, we're whole, and we're, we're, we're good to go, but we know that we live in this world where there's just a lot of troubles. And some of that trouble is going to come our direction. And as we stand for, fast for Christ, um, Peter just says simply, listen, you're blessed because you're in Christ and his spirit dwells richly upon you. Understand the difference there. And, and, and then live life accordingly. There's a lot of talk right now about what? Wellness? Mental health? Right? Are we hearing that all the time? Good subject matter. I want to tell you something, friends. Please hear me that, on this. Mental health is, in, is increased in us when we become thankful people, when we practice this and we begin to have a perspective of thankfulness for God. It's amazing how beneficial that is uh, for you. I'll get to that later on in the message. One last quick observation about what's different because we're Christ followers. You understand that judgment starts with God's people. That's an uh, interesting statement to be made there. Years ago, I worked at 3M in Knoxville, Iowa. And the people that I worked with knew that I was a Christ follower. Well, this was in the 1980s that I worked there, okay? This is a long time ago. And at the time, two really famous televangelists fell mightily. They had some moral issues. And in a very public way, uh, they fell and they were removed from their positions. Now today, I don't even know if that happened, which I don't know what that means, if it would even make the news, okay? But back then, it was big news. And several of the people I worked closely with especially knew where I stood on things. They knew that I was a Christ follower. And I remember when this was happening, two mechanics came to me, and they were kind of smirking a little bit. And they said to me, so what do you think of your Christianity now? Like they had got me. And I really think this was a, 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 what I would call a divine moment. I think God spoke to my heart because I said something I would not normally say. I said, I'm glad it happened. They go, what? I said, it just assures me that God is in control because he says in his word, 1 Peter 4, judgment starts in my house. And if there's some people who are leaders here who are having a secret sin life going on, he brought it forth. He brought it to light. It's a good thing. It just shows me that my God loves his bride, the church, and he won't tolerate any of this backdoor stuff and, 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 and duality and all that kind of thing. Amen, right? And I went on and said, in fact, I'm super encouraged by that. I trust him more now than ever. But boy, I tell you what, for those that don't know God, wow, I wouldn't want to be you. <laughs> and I felt like God just gave me that word in that moment. But that, are you with me on this? This is, judgment starts with us. Why? Because we ought to know better. 
because we know our Jesus and and God wants a perfect, spotless bride. So he's going to bring things to light in our midst first. Years ago, I was reading this book called The Light and the Glory by Peter Marshall and David Manuel, a couple researchers. And they went to Harvard uh, libraries and some of those kind of places. And they researched the early history of our country. It's a good book. It's a little dated in terms of some of the references uh, in the back and all that. But I'm reading it again. I thought, man, this book is really insightful. And they talk a lot about the Puritans in this book and some of those early people groups that that came to the New World. Um, And here's what they said about the Puritans. A Puritan settler in our country had the conviction that when things begin to go badly for them, they just needed to address sin and repent and turn anew to God. They had the conviction that such situations were a sign that they needed uh, to renew their dependence upon God. So these early Puritans, when they come to the country and things would start not going well for them, it was the seeds of revival because they would turn to God and they would repent and they would admit what they were doing wrong. And God then would show up in this kind of mighty miraculous way frequently. And you could see this dynamic in some of the early settlers of the states. See, they understood First Peter 4, judgment begins in the house of God. It begins with the people of God. And they, and they lived out that, um, that conviction. So now we see how we are to live different, right? Because we're a Christ follower. We handle things differently, Right? When we suffer, we say, hey, I can relate to Jesus a little bit more. When we're persecuted and insulted before being a Christ follower, we know that the Spirit of God rests on us and that his power and presence is there, especially as we live in the tension of of being in the kingdom of God, but yet being still in this world. We live in that tension and we understand that duality and we rejoice because the Spirit of God is on us. And lastly, we know that judgment of God begins in his house. So how do we really begin to live differently was my question. Well, I think Thanksgiving... Gratefulness focuses the follower on God, and it's maybe a starting point for actually experiencing some of this difference that we are, are looking at here in First Peter. Um, let me give you this point, and I'll talk about it. In all circumstances, you're to thank God and commit yourself to your faithful creator and continue to do good. When you are thankful, I think you just respond very differently to adversity. A recent article I read on gratitude uh, said this. Gratitude is truly brain-changing. Did you hear that? This researcher said, gratitude truly is brain-changing. And I thought, as soon as I read this, what a good God we serve. As I thank him for who I am in Jesus Christ, as I develop this attitude of thankfulness and gratitude, he says, it rewires my brain. And I begin to think differently. I, I'm experiencing some of the transformative, uh, regenerative power of, of God. And this, this last... Uh, a uh, point I, I, is a combination of thought from First Peter four that we read already, and First Thessalonians five. I love this scripture, and I want us to read it out loud together. It's going to show up on the screen behind me. Um, would you read this out loud with me, please? Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So last week in our First Peter. Uh, series here that we've entitled Different, Peter brings us to this idea that we're to live for the will of God. What does that scripture just reveal to us? What the will of God is? What is it? We rejoice always, we pray continually, and in all circumstances we give thanks. And as we do this, it's beneficial for us. In fact, going back to the study this, that I was reading, it said patients who practice gratitude demonstrated systematic, who, they, they, they demonstrated decreased systematic inflammation. This is this medical study. They experience reduced pain, lower blood pressure, 
improved immune systems, improved heart function, decreased stress, improved ease of falling asleep, and so on. So I get a lot of articles from the Wesleyan Church because we're part of that denomination. You all know that, right? Sometimes people say, what denomination are you? I say, oh, Wesleyan, but we don't make a big deal out of it. And recently an article came out that focused on gratitude. And it gave five ways to start really experiencing gratitude. And that's what I'm going to leave you with today. Really quickly, we're going to go over this, and then we're going to go to the baptisms here. Um, and so um, I'm just going to jump to that right, right now, okay? Because what I want to do is we have eight baptisms this hour, right? I'm skipping some stuff here. So we're going to get right to the five gratitude suggestions here that will help you really experience some of what I've been talking, which I think will then filter back into how we live life differently. So one, cultivate a grateful heart. Cultivate a grateful heart. Learn to meditate on scripture and let it set your mindset. Let it become what set your your outlook. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to read Psalm 103, verses 1 through 4 out loud together. And we're going to just let it set our mindset. So you, you read this with me. Here we go. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases who redeemed your life from the pit and crowned you with love and compassion. As you, you need to meditate on this kind of stuff. It needs to occupy your mind. As it does, it changes your, your outlook. Second thing, super important, increase your awareness of grumbling. This isn't as positive, but boy, is it relevant. Increase your awareness of grumbling. Grumbling got the children of Israel into trouble all the time. In fact, if you read about the Exodus, uh, the children of Israel grumbled about what God was doing, and they're always complaining about a lack of water or lack of food. And, and they got to grumbling so much and becoming so disobedient, God said, you know, this generation, you grumblers, you're not going to get to enter into the promised land. You're going to die off, and the new generation will get to experience my promises. And 1 Corinthians chapter 10 talks about that. It says this, we should not test the Lord as some of them did, the ancient Israelites, and were killed by snakes. And to not grumble as some of them did, that's the ancient Israelites, and were killed by the destroying angels. Now, I don't know about you, my first response is to grumble. How about you? And here's my advice to you. Stop it. (laughs) Quit grumbling first. I mean, it's hard because I want to grumble. How about you? Oh, some of you are saying, no, good for you. If you have that issue, my words of advice are simply this. Admit it and quit it and stop it. Just quit grumbling. It'll bless everybody around you, and it'll bless you too. Thirdly, maintain a gratitude journal of some sort. At the end of the day, what are you grateful for? List it. Write it down. Acknowledge it. Say it. Frequently now, I mentioned this before, Vicky and I get to the end of the day, we'll just say, what a good day. This was fun. This was good. You know, just, just make it a point of doing it. It changes your outlook of life. Fourthly, write a gratitude letter to somebody. I did this exercise a few years ago. I wrote several letters to people in my life who were very instrumental in my walk in Jesus Christ. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to write them a thank you letter, acknowledging that this was so meaningful for me as a person. And lastly, make gratitude a theme for family and friends time. When you're together, thank each other. 
Say thank you. When you notice a friend who's been a good friend, every now and then just say, thank you for being my friend. It's going to feel corny, but it's really a good exercise to do. Thank your family. Um, I, I appreciate this about my wife so much. Now, I don't cook. I'll readily admit it. She cooks really well, and I'm a glad recipient of her cooking, right? But I'll make oatmeal pretty, pretty frequently in the morning because I can put water on and boil it and throw some oats in there, right? And I'll ask her, "Hun, do you want some oatmeal today? And she'll say, yes, please, thank you. I'm making oatmeal here, man, you know? But she, she always does that and always strikes me every morning, yes, please, thank you. It's so little, isn't it? But it's so meaningful. It just frames our mind differently when we have attitude of gratitude. And when we do that, friends, listen, when we, when we begin to really let this, this kind of uh, attitude soak into our souls, we're going to handle everything differently. We're not going to look at hardships the same way. We're going to look at them differently like First Peter 4 exhorts us to do. And uh, we're not going to feel victimized. We're going to feel like, okay, Jesus, I'm fully satisfied in you. I can handle whatever comes my direction, and it's going to just cost me to be more like you anyway. And, and our whole outlook of life uh, changes. So with that, I'm going to end uh, because we need to do baptism. We've got like eight this hour.